So I try to find activities that will challenge her, whether it's like a lot of trot pulls or maybe a really tricky little cross rail jumping, something where it's making her think and maybe slowing her down on her own versus always being me trying to slow her down. Welcome to the Equine Body Talks podcast. We'll be diving into the equine industry from the lens of a body worker talking to other equine professionals and discussing scenarios around soft tissue work for all equine athletes. I'm Kim Krebs, your host. I've been working for over two decades in this industry as a loper, barn manager, and body worker. With the many horses I've worked with in all of these capacities, it has driven me to want to continually find out the why and the hows of equine biomechanics, health, and performance. My mentor and one of our industry's leaders, Tina Watkins of In Hand Equine Therapy will also be sharing hosting duties with me. Tina has been an equestrian her entire life and has dedicated the last 25 years to bringing bodywork forward as a professional career through her business as well as education and teaching of future and current bodyworkers. This podcast is dedicated to opening the conversation around equine wellness, diving deeper into the whole body approach for equine performance horses turn and burn. It's the analogy most commonly used when talking about barrel racing. One of North America's fastest growing western sports and perhaps one of the most underrated for the athleticism required. It's a sport that gives horse and riders an equal opportunity to be competitive at their own level thanks to their 3 and 40 rating systems, making it one of the most accessible sports for people to get involved in. For that reason, it is really seeing a major growth with enthusiasts across the board. If you are a body worker, you likely have a barrel racer or few on your clientele list. In today's discipline focus, we are going to talk to one of InHand's own barrel racing clients, Sean Raffi. Sean has been involved with horses the majority of her life, growing up riding in the hunter-jumper world before turning her attention to barrel racing. She has a wealth of knowledge on all areas of the equine industry, and for sure, she'll be back on the podcast in the future to discuss further areas. She is manager for the rehab and breeding operations at Bar Nun Ranches, just north of Okotoks, Alberta. Her focus is not only on being competitive in her sport, but ensuring that her good mare, Shavivas, continues to be happy and healthy to take on this fast-paced sport. We'll hear Sean talk about the sport itself in the interview. It is fast. Often winners are determined within thousands of a second. It is powerful as the horses have to switch gears from all out run to turning on the haunches while bending around three barrels in a cloverleaf pattern. It's timed. First one over the finish line with the quickest time wins. But that is where people often don't understand the intricacies of the sport and what it takes to shave off those milliseconds. For those that do, like Sean, it's the difference of bringing home the earnings or not, and having a horse that can stand the test of time to race for years to come at a high level. So Sean, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We're pretty excited to have you on as one of our discipline-focused experts. So thank you for coming on Equine Body Talks. Well, thank you for asking me. We're excited because I've worked with you for a long time and I really appreciate the protocols that you have in place when it comes to your sport. Can you tell us what the sport you do with your little sweet Shaviva is? So uh, what I do with her and what she was born to do is barrel race. 
Yay, perfect. And she is fantastic. Um, I've worked on her quite a bit and she is a true superstar. I think when we talk about discipline, Sean, the thing that people don't understand sometimes, especially if they're not in a sport, you know, they think, oh, there's nothing to that. They're just sitting up there and turning three barrels. So first of all, let's get into some of the intricacies of the sport. So tell us about the pattern, you know, what happens during the pattern for somebody that maybe has never even seen it, because we do have people from all across the globe that listen to this podcast. So barrel racing is a timed event. It's set up with the barrels in a triangular pattern and they go in a clover leaf, which means you're going to run in from the long end of the gate. You're going to come in and you're going to go around each barrel once. It looks like we're just running and just hoping for the best and trying to make it around as fast as possible, but there's a lot of intricacies to it. The horse has to be able to collect itself and get around that barrel as fast as possible. This time's event, it comes down to thousands. So it's time down to the thousands. And often at the very top of it, of that winner's list, you're going to find people that are separated by 1,000, 2,000. It's, it's tight. So every step and every little move over and every inch counts, literally. Yeah, literally. Very true. So you mentioned a couple things when you did that, uh, that quick rundown. And I think this is where we really want to get into each of those. You mentioned the word collect. Now, can you tell us from your aspect what that means? And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about how you work with Shaviva, which is your horse's name for those that, if I didn't mention that earlier, on each of these things. So what is collect? What do you mean by collect? Well, what I want to see, and I should be in Chaviva as a barrel horse for collection, is I want her to be able to go from a flat out run and get right under herself and almost get all her body weight on her butt end while she turns and stops around those barrels. And that way, um, when we're coming out of each barrel to run towards the next one, she's able to sit back on those hawks and push off and really get out and get fast right to the next barrel. Yeah, that's a great description. And when you were mentioning earlier that it's down to hundreds of a second, that collection, when you come around that barrel, if you get wide or she isn't able to rock back, stop the inertia of the speed that you created and be able to turn, that adds time, doesn't it? That, that's going to equate usually to an extra step or an extra stride around the barrel, which is time. Okay, perfect. And that takes a lot of horse strength. And I think in this podcast, that's the thing we really want to get into is, you know, how are we going to strengthen the horses for this sport? So if we stick with collection and kind of break this sport down, what do you and Shaviva do when you are looking at exercises that are going to help with that collection? Well, to start with, we don't really practice the pattern very much at home. Sometimes we'll do some slow pattern, but it's mostly a lot of, it's a balance. So we're going to balance out all that adrenaline from running in competition with things that are going to strengthen her hind end, maybe some things that will relax her and keep her conditioned. So as far as the collection goes and, uh, and foot placement, we use things like trot poles. We'll even do a little bit of low jumping, those kinds of things, as well as some circle patterns and those, those sort of drills. But everything, nothing done at quite, at quite the speed that you'd see on the pattern. Yeah, and that's a very good point because with speed comes one, risk of injury, but also sometimes they can, and I know you and I've talked about this a lot with your horse, sometimes they can 
compensate and use use tissue that you really don't want them to get the muscle memory of using. For instance, you know, I know when we first started with her, you had mentioned, you know, she was pulling with the front end and you have worked really hard as a trainer to be able to get her to use her hind end. So when you're describing some of those exercises, is that what you're meaning to people that you're really targeting different parts of her body? Yes, I'm, I'm really focusing on exercises that will get her to sort of rock back on her hocks and maybe not at a speed, like maybe at a walk or a trot, but things that will get her used to using those muscles that way and get her to move her body around her hind end versus just pulling herself around. Yeah, super. Great point. And you also mentioned a couple things in there, which made me write down the point of cross training. And I know that mm -hmm. you do a lot of cross training with your horse and it's made her very successful. So can you tell us a little bit about why that's important in your program? With a horse that's really smart and really likes to do the work, you can burn them out really quickly. You can get them anticipating. You just, you want to make them, you want to keep them keep thinking, keep active, keep enjoying the ride. You don't want, no one wants to spend, you know, all winter while you're waiting to race, pull, you know, pulling your horse around or, you know, trying to get them to stop taking off with you. So I find things that she likes to do and I like to do, but as a bonus will help us out on our barrel pattern when it's time to run again. Yeah, that's brilliant. And does it matter to you when you're doing your cross training? And I guess I should ask this first, when you do the cloverleaf pattern, there's, there's two times you're going to turn one direction and one time you're going to turn the other direction. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So then because of that, do you find that she gets a little uneven and your cross training is really helping you keep her really balanced from side to side? Yes. Yes. I, I definitely, I, I keep that in mind, which, which way we're turning twice when I do our cross training as well. If we're doing any kind of slow work or slow barrel work, sometimes I incorporate turning the other way just, and I will never run her the other way, but just to train, we'll just train going the opposite way. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Super smart. I love that. The other thing that you had mentioned when you were starting to describe that was the mental aspect. So I know your horse is a keener and she is like ready to, to race. So how do you work with her mentally? You said it's important to keep her happy. Can you tell us a bit more about that? She's not one to go slow. Slow work is, is even a little quick for her. So I try to find activities that will challenge her, whether it's like a lot of trap pulls or maybe a really tricky little cross rail jumping, something where it's making her think and maybe slowing it, slowing it her down on her own versus it always being me trying to slow her down. Smart. Because you don't, I, I would imagine in your sport that you don't want to dissuade that exuberance she has, right? Like you want to, you want to build that and yet not make it so that it's kind of panicky. Right. And you don't want to, you don't want to spend all your time fighting with her. She's not one that will slow down. She's just one that will fight with you. And you don't want to turn this into a, a fight. I mean, it's supposed to be fun at the end of the day. So you want to find things that you can enjoy doing with her versus always trying to fight her and try to make her go slow. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. That's why we love these discipline focus, because I don't think that if you've never done uh, one of these sports, people don't think of all the little small things that go into it. So you had mentioned you don't practice yeah. the pattern. Now, is that because you don't want her to, like you did say the word anticipate, but is it also like, will a horse start to turn too early? Like, tell us about why you don't practice the pattern too, too much. 
Well, first of all, it's like practicing the pattern at full speed. It is hard on horse. They only have so many runs on them and you don't want them to make that great run at home with no timers or no one to see you. <laughs> and I find just a little bit of slow work uh, is all is really, really all they need. Now, if it's a younger horse and not Shaviva, then I would probably just, just get them used to me putting a little bit of pressure on them going faster. But as far as a finished horse like Shaviva, she really doesn't need to make too many runs at home. And you said something really good there as well, that, you know, the horse can get hurt at speed. And we've had several guests on the podcast really talking about how that it's during speed and torque that injuries happen. So that's super smart for you to say that as a trainer. So to get into the speed aspect, how do you condition or train her for those really fast blasts of speed with the hind end? Well, I'm fortunate enough to have a 5.8 training track at my disposal. So we are on the track every day, whether it's rainy or windy or every time I can anyway. With foaling season, it can't be every day, but we use the track a lot. It's a safe place for her to run. She learns how to use her speed. She learns how to breathe while she's running. And I mean, to be honest, I can get used to how fast she's going without panicking. (laughs) Yeah, very true, because you've sent me some videos and I've thought to myself, whoa, like that is fast. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's, it really is a thing. You do have to get used to your horse going that fast. Right, yeah. right. And trusting that the two of you can stop like and, and collect and be exactly. able to do the things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah, the track has been indispensable for that because yeah, it's, it's not a feeling that you feel in the arena. Right. Good point. Good point. You Mm -hmm. mentioned there that the footing is safe. Now I know all of us riders, I ride dressage, Kim's a a cutting horse rider. Uh, We all complain about footing, but, but do tell us a little bit about like safe footing for your sport. And then maybe if you didn't mind to some safe footing for conditioning your horse. Well, for, for barrel racing, I mean, every barrel racer is going to have a different answer to this, but uh, what, I look for, <laughs> what I look for in general is not too, not too deep, not too shallow, and definitely not hard pan underneath. So something that a horse can get into. So whether that's black dirt or sand or some kind of synthetic footing, you just, you want to, you want some ground that's not going to get too dusty and is going to, your horse is going to be able to stand up on. And ideally, if it can, if it's outside, if it can take a little bit of water, that's, that's all the better. For conditioning though, inside, you can kind of make do what with what you have. You can even get conditioning done outside on grass if you're careful. But I mean, for the sprints and for breezing and that kind of thing, you really want to look for something safe, no holes, consistent, that kind of thing. Because the last thing you want to do is hurt them while you're trying to get them in shape. Yeah, great point. Great point. And then you said the words getting into the footing. That's a neat point because if the horse is slipping slightly... I could possibly see two things happening. One, of course, an injury, but two, they don't trust the turning the same, do they? I know you've talked to me about that before, about how that she has to really trust that she can turn. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, if if you're running into either ground that's too hard or just just they can't get a grip onto, you can, yeah, you can find horses that will stumble, um, some will even fall. And then others, I mean, if they do get scared, they won't, they'll, they'll put on their, they'll put on their brakes more or less. They'll either slow down, they'll take extra steps. I mean, 
horses don't want to fall. And in some cases, it, it will go the same way for the rider, where the rider doesn't no longer trust the horse. So now the rider is getting in the horse's way. And uh, once you get into things like that, it can be tricky to overcome. Yeah, that is a great point that I think maybe a lot of us wouldn't have thought of is the the rider trust that you can make it around those corners and, you know, come out the other side. That's a great point. So then our next thing that you mentioned right at the start after speed was how much torque is involved in your sport. So what do you do for conditioning to try to get the lateral stabilizers and, and, you know, the horse to have that stability for your sport? That's where I will introduce a little bit of like dressage kind of stuff, a lot of lateral movement, and it's not very fast, just, just things to really increase her agility. And, uh, and then on top of that, I try to keep on top of any sort of maintenance. I try to keep on top of, you know, um, my horse doesn't need injections at this point, but there is no such thing as a horse that needs no maintenance, whether it's chiropractor, massage, whatever, um, you have to make sure that you're on top of that because as soon as they start hurting somewhere, they're going to end up with some compensation going on. And, uh, and then it's not very long before you're breaking down that horse. Yeah, that is such a good point, Sean. Then uh, the next thing that you talked about was rider weight. So tell us about that. Cause I know you've sent me some pictures and I've seen Shaviva on like a 45 degree angle and your foot is just off of the footing. So what do you have to do as a rider to, to also gain that trust of how this horse is turning? Trust it. You have to be able to trust them. You have to be able to be comfortable with how they're going to get around those barrels. At the same time, it's up to you as a rider to be as agile and as athletic as your horse, because they're packing you around that barrel. And if you can't go with them, it's not long before they stop trying to get you around there. It is. That is so smart, isn't it? Because it, it's a two-way street, right? If they can't trust you, you're not going to trust them. And then it's all going to start to unravel, isn't it? And like you said earlier, if it's a hundredth of a second difference, that is going to make the difference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if you aren't balanced with them and going with them, just the force on them of them kind of picking you up or pushing you with their body, that can be the difference between first and eighth. Yeah. So good. Excellent points. You had mentioned earlier breathing. So is that something that you are monitoring like, you know, just with recognition, are you using like a heart rate monitor? Tell us a little bit about how you assess cardio. In general, we just try to keep the cardio up. My horse goes on an equisizer wheel and all she does is walk. It just improves her, her general fitness, as well as I find the breezing on the track really improves their, um, their cardio performance. And it's just, it's easier for them to get into that sort of short burst speed and being able to breathe through it. Some horses, they've never learned how to gallop. And so when they do take off and they do run, they hold their breath or they panic. It is something that I think is important for a horse to, to be able to do. And I know you and I have had many discussions about cardio versus strength days. So can you tell us just a little bit, um, you said, you know, you're out on the track most every day, but can you give us a little bit of an idea? It doesn't have to be perfect, but just of how you break up your cardio and strength days and, and how, cause it's a, it's a lot of components. It's not just that this horse can be fit enough to run around three barrels. As long as, as long as we're not working on any issues or any um, sort of problems on the pattern, I generally will 
have them walk, I have her walk on the wheel five days a week. And then um, realistically, I usually go on the track three or four days a week, and then two days a week of patterns or maybe a little bit jumping or something else in the arena. And then I usually run once a week and one day off for her. Yeah. yeah, smart, smart. And it's just, I, for me, I love your program because you are not doing your sports specific training every right. day. And I think that's what's not only made your horse successful, but also, you know, made her fast, willing and still sound because I've worked with you in this horse for quite a few years and she is still blasting. Yeah. I know for you, uh, and this is a bit of a hot button topic in your discipline, but please tell us about why you think it is important to wear a helmet. Well, I started out riding jumping horses and dressage horses, like galloping horses on the track. And in those disciplines and those activities, no one would ever think of not wearing a helmet. So I always thought it would be really bizarre if I had just stopped wearing a helmet in barrel racing and had gotten hurt simply because we don't wear helmets. In barrel racing there's no less risk I mean there's pavement everywhere you never I mean as much as I trust my horse you never know if your horse is going to take a wrong step or who knows what anything can happen and especially at that rate of speed in in, an, in a busy loud environment yeah I think that's so smart I just every time you send me a picture I just I want to share it all over because I want everybody I mean of course everybody has their own choices but I just think that that's uh, that's a smart choice to make We've talked lots about Shaviva and we've mentioned all the protocols you do, but can you tell us a little bit about her breed? And you had mentioned earlier that she was bred for the discipline. Is that in her lineage you're meaning? Or t tell us just a little bit about her herself and her lineage. She's a 14 year old quarter horse. She's not bred for racing, but she is bred for fast performance ranch work. Her breeding is known to be really hot maybe even a little bit bucky sometimes. And when I got her, I, I thought maybe she would be a great show horse once I got her broke and settled in. And uh, she's never, ever slowed down. <laughs> she's as fast and as forward as she is now as for, at 14 years old as she was as a two-year-old. But uh, now I'm very comfortable with her, of course, and I find it kind of funny. But she was never bred for pleasure. And yeah, she just has a huge go button on her. But the ranch and the performance kind of side of the breeding has given her a lot of brains. I can trust her. She knows where to put her feet. She's very smart about not getting spooky or silly or carried away with things. She just has a huge motor. That's fantastic. And you work at one of the largest thoroughbred breeding farms here in Alberta. So you've seen a lot of speed in the thoroughbred land. In barrel racing, is there more people using a thoroughbred horse or are more people still wanting the strength and agility of the quarter horse? There are thoroughbreds, especially around here, barrel racing, and they do really well. A lot of those racing quarter horse lines have a ton of thoroughbred in them. So we have a lot of futurity competitions up here, which is sort of all geared towards these bloodlines. There's incentives involved and all that kind of thing. So I think a lot of people do go towards those horses just because there's an incentive for winning with them. But there's definitely a huge influence of the racing quarter horse and, and thoroughbred bloodlines in the, in the horses around here. And if you were to be looking for another prospect for you to run, would you stick more with the ranch? Like, are you liking that? Or, or what would you look for for your next one? I really do like the turny, quick, 
the yeah just the really larger than life kind of thing of the um of the cutting horses and the western performance horses but i i would probably be open to any horse just i've always found that sometimes you you'll find the exact right horse when you're you're looking in the wrong spot so yeah, yeah i i mean I, of course i would look at these horses that are bred to be feral horses but i, I definitely wouldn't discount maybe a cutting horse or even a thoroughbred yeah cool i love that about you because you're looking at each individual and not just you know if it has a specific dad yeah 100 percent. yeah love that so tell us a little bit about barrel racing in Alberta. Is there different levels or if somebody was new to the sport, would they be competing against someone like yourself? How, how does that work with, with when someone new comes in or green comes in versus someone like yourself that has been at it for a long time? The barrel racing in Alberta is great for a beginner. You have local races, which are paid out or divided into divisions. So your first division will be your fastest time. And then the second division starts with 0.5 seconds slower or 0.7 seconds slower than your fast time and so on and so on. And a lot of these divisions go down all the way down to five, pay down to five divisions. Now, on top of that, they have or a lot of a lot of places around here have rookie races. So they'll take anyone who hasn't won a, a buckle, anyone who hasn't won a thousand dollars, some anything like that. And then they'll have their own sort of division for them so just because you're starting out doesn't mean you won't win a buckle in your first year of barrel racing in Alberta so there's also rodeo of course and um, those are not divisional those pay to the first say 10 spots and those are really really competitive girls a lot of times you'll find former professional barrel racers at some of these local rodeos or professional barrel racers even so uh, you really got to be on the top of your game to, to enter the rodeo. And what, what, when you say the word professional barrel racer, for those that don't know what that means, how, how would someone become a professional versus, do you guys call them an amateur or a non-pro? What do you guys call everybody else? We don't really call them. We just call them barrel racers. Okay, good. Good, I like it. Sometimes the professionals are, are, you know, are placing a little lower than the, than the other some days. So it's, yeah, when you're, when you're coming down to timing like this, yeah, when the, the professionals are generally the ones that will be going on tour. So they'll be traveling around all over North America even and trying to make a go of it. They qualify for the Canadian finals rodeo in the fall. They, and they like, they'll hit up these jackpots with the rest of us, but they'll also be gone to these big rodeos that you'll see on the Cowboy Channel or something. Sean, tell us a little bit about the team that you use that surrounds your Shaviva horse and, you know, who you, who you think is important to keep her in top shape. With Shaviva, right now, we are really closely monitoring her feet. We're really careful with how her feet are done, how she's shod, and we keep her on a really tight schedule. With a barrel horse, if you don't have, if your horse isn't comfortable on its feet, they just won't give you your 100%. And you never know what kind of ground you'll be running on. So you really have to make sure that horse is feeling great foot-wise. And we start from the bottom up. I mean, we do keep pretty close tabs on how she's moving, even how she's walking in the exerciser wheel. And then, of course, we do use chiropractor and massage. Um, we use that quite often and just to make sure she's feeling good and she's moving properly. Make sure she's not trying to compensate someplace or she's really tight. Some strange place will pop up. And then on top of that, of course, the vet as we need for, you know, ultrasounds or um, radiographs and joints, that kind of thing, just to make sure we're not missing anything in the maintenance on the maintenance side. 
she's really stoic. She probably wouldn't show a lot of pain, say in the hawk. So we kind of keep really close tabs on that kind of thing. And I think a lot of these really uh, hotly bred horses are like that. You know, they'll they'll kind of work till they're on one leg that's still sound kind of thing, you know? So that's that's really smart to have that proactive. And when you're getting ready for an event, let's say you had something on a Saturday, would you alter your exercise protocol throughout the week to be kind of peaking for that weekend? I mean, we've talked about general conditioning, but is there something different that you do when you're headed to an event? I try to work it out so that I can breeze her on the track two days before the event. And then I'll try to give her the day off right before the event. So that way she's at her peak, she's ready to run, but she's, she's just a little bit rested. So. Yeah, that's smart. That's great. And then another thing that I think a lot of people forget about, and and I know you're big on this, is the day after the event. So we can't just go to something and then give them a carrot, turn them out and and, uh, look at them again the week after. Tell us a little bit about the importance of um, making sure that post um, event that she's in the best shape she can be. Usually the day after I might ride her. I might ride her really lightly. She definitely goes on the equisizer wheel just to walk out. And um, I just watch for lots of any swelling, any strange movements, that kind of thing. Make sure her shoes are still in good shape. And yeah, it's, you can't just turn them out right afterwards. There's, there's things that can pop up. There's things that you can miss and uh, you want to make sure they're not sore and their muscles are still in good shape right afterwards. Yeah, that's great. And then sometimes barrel racers get a bit of a a bad rap on that, you know, that they're trying this and then they're going to try that. And then they're on this supplement and they're on the next supplement. I think maybe a lot of us horse performance guys get a rap for that. What is the importance of your nutrition program? Because I know that you've been very careful with this because you've had some past issues with her. What do you monitor and, and how important is the nutrition program for you? Shaviva actually runs barrels and is really competitive and she's actually got Cushing's. So she, I monitor her hay like crazy. We balance everything, all her nutrition to her hay. So that's straight off the bat. Everything has to be balanced right there. And that's just because I really need to avoid iron overload with her. And, uh, and I need to make sure her copper and her zinc are really balanced. So that will give me the best chance to keep her feet healthy. It keeps her feeling really good that we just, we start right from there. There's no magic feed for her. There's no magic supplements. She's not on a, she's actually not even on one hoof supplement. It's just all balancing to her hay. Yeah. And I think that's so important because it's the overall program that makes your athlete uh, the top they can be rather than thinking that there's going to be some magic thing that you're going to throw in her feed that is going to make the difference. Yeah. And then you did mention that she has Cushing's and I have to tell you, most people that would walk past her, especially, or if they ever saw her run would never know that she has that. Can you tell us just a little bit about maybe how you noticed that come about and some of the management things you have to do with that imbalance? Yeah, you would never know to see her that she has Cushing's ever. 
she's built like a tank. She, we actually diagnosed it and, um, and got tested for it through a few winters ago. She ended up with winter laminitis straight out of the blue. It was actually right after she had run. It was, it was just right out of left field. And as part of the testing we did to get to the bottom of that, we ended up finding she has very, very early stages, but nevertheless, it's there. So, And I think that's smart because... Number one, you, you noticed that really early. You didn't have any prob- long-term problems with her feet. There's no rotations, any of those kind of things. And I yeah. think rider and trainer awareness is very important with sport horses. Would you not agree? Yes. Yeah. Um, you have to be able, if you, if you can notice the smallest thing, like with her, just the very, very starting eight stages of pushings, you can maintain these horses and they'll work for you for, for a long time. But if you let things go or just wait and see, they'll start compensating. And before you know it, I mean, it'll be, there'll just be too many problems compounded from it before you can even, even address the original one. Yeah. And that's such a good point because then once the horse's, you know, onion of problems starts layering up, then, you know, it's really hard to bring them back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Sean, thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was absolutely phenomenal. I think you gave us a really good look at what happens in the barrel racing world and, you know, that it's not just people running around a cloverleaf path and hoping for the best, um, that there's way more to it. If anybody wanted to contact you, where would they find you? Well, I'm here at Barnatches and I run our social media page as well. They could email me. It's sean.raffy at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd be happy to help anyone out. Well, thank you again, Sean. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you. I was sorry not to be able to participate in this interview when we recorded as I had laryngitis. Sean is such a great ambassador for her sport and a wealth of knowledge for all aspects of the equine industry. I'm looking forward to having her back on in the future. Just like any sport we're not directly involved in, oftentimes the subtleties of it are lost when on the outside looking in. As simple a pattern as it seems, barrel racing certainly has many nuances to work towards mastery on in order to grow forward. I loved hearing all those aspects in Sean's interview. If you are interested in connecting with Sean to find out more about the sport of barrel racing or bar none ranches, you can send her an email as she mentioned. We have it written out in the show notes for you. There are many different barrel racing associations you can look up if you're wanting to get more involved in your area. To find out more of what they are up to at the bar none, check out their website at barnonranches.com or their Facebook and Instagram pages under the handle Barn on Ranches. Thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate each rating and review you can give to help grow this podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook under Equine Body Talks, or connect with us by email at equinebodytalks at gmail.com. To learn more about courses by In-Hand Equine Therapy, please follow them on Instagram and Facebook as well, and their online course platform at inhandequinetherapy.podia.com. Remember to always be an advocate for your horse and not be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness team.